Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. We're going to deal with Jonah chapter 3 and 4. So we're doing two chapters today. And Jonah is perhaps the greatest missionary book in the Old Testament. The greatest missionary book in the Bible, I would guess, would be the book of Acts. But in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah is probably the one that shows God's heart for all people. Uh, while in Lebanon, I was able to share with some of the top dignitaries of the nation in several different occasions and one of the things I said to that mixed group was, the Bible says God so loved the world. He doesn't just love Christians or Muslims or Jews. He loves the world. And he's given us the message of reconciliation. And that was the message that Jonah didn't want to hear. Because God was sending him to the Assyrian Empire, the top city in Assyria, Nineveh. And Assyria had destroyed Israel in around 7, uh, what is it, 738 B.C., uh, 701 B.C., around there. And they were the fiercest enemies and very, very violent people. And so when God was sending Jonah, he was very ethnocentric, meaning he was committed just to his own people, the Jews. And he ran away, not from following God, because he was still a Jew still following the commandments, but he ran away from his assignment. Somebody say his assignment. assignment. And as Christians, we cannot disconnect our assignment from loving God. Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I do. And Jesus' answer was, I don't want you to spend more time worshiping. He said, I want you to feed my sheep. Amen. And so it's word and deed can't just be that we worship with our mouth, but that we neglect our assignment. And so Jesus equated serving his church with loving him, feeding his sheep, his church. And so Jonah was running away from his assignment. And so again, even though he wasn't denying his, Judy, his Judaism, uh, he wasn't denying the Ten Commandments or anything like that, he was still falling away from God because he wasn't obeying that which God commanded him to do. And primarily, we believe it's because he hated the Assyrian Empire. And it would be like us going to those who bombed the Twin Towers and preaching the gospel, God sending us to, to let's say, Al-Qaeda or Osama bin Laden and others, to Taliban nowadays, and preaching the gospel. And so it's a very difficult thing for people to separate their national heritage from Christianity. Jonah had a hard time separating his Jewishness from God's call to the world. And even from the beginning of their existence, God called them to be priests for the world, a nation of priests. We see that in Exodus chapter 19. And because it had disobedience, he took away that calling and only made the tribe of Levi the priest, and they began just focusing on themselves. But God's heart was always for the whole world, and he was 
meaning for Israel to be an example of what God could do by blessing one nation so that he could provoke the, the nations of the world to jealousy. And so Jonah didn't understand that part of God's heart. He knew that God was a God of love and kindness, and he didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because he didn't want to see them repent. Can you imagine? And it would be like people in, who are Christians in America who just love America but don't love the world. And so I'm more of a citizen of the world than just an American citizen. I love China, India, Pakistan, the Muslim nations. 98% of the evangelical church is just supporting Israel. They neglect the Palestinians. They neglect the, uh, the, the churches in Egypt and uh, the, the people in the Middle East and North Africa and all these places. And so we need to be people who love the world because that's the God we serve, not just our own country, even though we want to be patriots and love our nation. And so that's the backdrop here. And let's go to Jonah chapter 3. It said, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Somebody say the second time. Yes. How many words of God are hanging over your head? Even though he disobeyed God and tried to run, even though he went west and God told him to go east, the word of the Lord was still hanging over his head. The word came the second time. Maybe the word has come to you 10 times, 15 times, 50 times. But what this is saying is even though you try to run, God's calling is not going to be taken back. He's calling you to follow him to practice Christianity in word and deed. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Notice God called it a great city, not meaning great in morality, but great in commerce and the number of people, the uh, activity that went there is one of the hubs of the world, of that part of the world. So God called it a great city, and he said, Call out against it. The message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. His physical body went to Nineveh, but his heart was not there. As we've seen in examples today, as we've seen even in Jonah's life, Jonah was someone God was able to use in spite of his immaturity, in spite of his prejudice, in spite of his hatred. God doesn't need perfect vessels. He just needs people that are willing to take the first step. Isn't that amazing? And so we see Jonah ran from God, and God used nature to kind of get him back on track. God uses circumstances to try to, to get us back on track. It's not always a clear word, a prophetic word, or something like that. Uh, sometimes God makes our life miserable, or he causes circumstances to go a certain way so that we don't have any choice because God loves us so much. He challenges us so that we stay on the right track. So he actually went to Nineveh physically. His heart was not there. Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go to the city, going a day's distance. And he cried out, In 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God 
And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so there was a great groundswell of people from the bottom up beginning to cry out. And so we see the same thing going on in this country the last few years where we've seen a groundswell of emotion and protests, uh, people outcrying certain injustices or certain things that went on and they make their voice known. And because of that, the people in high places take notice, whether it's the president or the governor or the mayors, and they begin to take action. And so it's not just affecting the top gatekeepers of a country. If we can get a groundswell of people crying out and speaking with one voice, especially Christians, bringing out the gospel and standing for truth, something big would happen. And so it says that because it is groundswell, verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. So it didn't start with the king, it started with the people. But the king wasn't stupid. He was able to see that what was activating his people was most likely something important enough for him to bear mind to it. And so he arose from his throne and he removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, but God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So that was the official decree that came from the king. And so after the king was convicted and was himself repenting, it became a law. And so you could start with a groundswell. Uh, you could have prayer meetings. You could have all these things going on. But at the end of the day, unless the laws are changed, we don't have systemic change that is permanent. And so sometimes we have to understand that we have to keep pushing through until the laws are changed. And that's what happened here. He made a rule. He made a declaration. And then after that legal declaration, and that's what we're praying for with some of the laws of this nation, whether it be the abortion laws, whether it be laws against uh, free market, whether it be laws against families and other things, that we're praying about, God recognized what they did after the law was changed because he's dealing with nations, not just with the church or not just with Jews or not just with a few people. So the laws represent the official standing or official position of a nation. Some of our laws are totally wicked and abhorrent. They're abhorrent. And so until those laws are changed, in spite of how many times or how many Christians pray, uh, we're going to be as a nation under judgment and displeasing God. And so it says after this declaration, when God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 
And so we see here how prophecy is conditional, how prophecy sometimes is not fulfilled because people respond a certain way and they repent or they change direction in, in a way that pleases God. And so here we see that the prophetic word that Jonah shared was not fulfilled. And that wasn't a bad thing. That was actually a good thing because the motivation behind God sending him was to get them to repent. So people get confused. They say, well, God made a mistake because what he said wouldn't, didn't happen. No, God's intent, if you look at the context, was so that they would repent. And so we have to understand when we're reading the Bible, what is the intent of God's word? before we understand how to fully deal with it or understand the Bible. And so verse 1 in chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah. You see that? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah himself knew that there was a good chance that that prophetic word was not going to be fulfilled as we see here. And we see Jonah, at least being honest, he was actually upset that God was good. Can you imagine? He was upset that God was merciful. He was upset that God would not destroy the enemies of Israel. And so that teaches us that sometimes we're actually rejoicing when we see our enemies fall, when God wants us to pray for them. Jesus said, pray for your enemies and for those that despitefully use you. And to love those who don't love you. And because the body of Christ has not done that, we've lost opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to share the gospel with those who are outside of the covenant. The more somebody acts in a way that is unlovable, the more that person needs love. And the more the light has an opportunity to shine because as everybody else disdains them and avoids them, if you love them, you will actually be the one that sticks out, not the other people. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, you're no different from the pagans and the sinners. He said, anybody loves those who love them. And oftentimes, the church gets involved in fighting on social media, calling people names, and getting involved in disputes because of politics and ideology. And we may win an argument, but we lose our witness yeah. of the love of God to this world. In one of the speeches I made in Lebanon, is they had a dinner in our honor with 80 dignitaries and some of the top leaders, including the top general of the nation, was there. And when I got up to speak, one of the things I said was that God so loved the world, again, not just Christians, but Jews and Muslims, and he's given us the message of reconciliation. I said Jesus was a bridge builder. He became a man that man might become like God. 
that man can be connected to God. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't give us the ministry of rebuke. He didn't give us the ministry of hatred. He didn't give us the ministry of being judgmental. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so every time we correct or rebuke or judge, it should be with a motivation of bringing people back to God, not pushing them from him. And so, and at that moment, I was able, by the grace of God, to give my personal testimony, and I actually shared the gospel with all these people. And we wind up seeing five people come to Christ, including, including the ambassador of the United States to Lebanon. Him and his wife gave their life to Christ. And the Muslim general got a prophetic word from one of our pastor friends, uh, Raful Najen, who is helping to lead the team. And he gave him a prophetic word, blew the mind of the Muslim general. And he said, I think he said, to, might have said to his wife, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Um, and so when you come in an attitude of reconciliation, God will bring you before kings. He'll bring you before people that you would never dream would be open to the gospel. Uh, those who knew me before I knew Christ would probably not think in a million years this man would ever be open to the gospel. And yet, I wound up getting saved. Nobody knew what was going on in the deep recesses of my own soul. And we don't know what's going on in that Muslim brother nearby or that police officer or that coworker, or that fellow student or our neighbor. We have no idea the things they are grappling with the prayers, they're praying at night. I would be praying every night, sometimes drunk out of my mind. I'd, I'd go home and I made up my mind, I'm going to pray every night before I fell asleep. None of my friends knew any of this about me because I always believed in God and I always knew I had to call a God in my life. Even if I didn't know who God was, I just knew I had a call. And so when we hate people that are not like us, we stop the gospel from having infiltration in the world. And um, one of my friends has had so much of an impact in the Muslim world, in certain parts of the world like Pakistan, that they literally invite him to high level meetings in the Muslim community. And they gave him the name, the ambassador of love. That's his name. Everybody else has official titles like Ambassador of the United States or Head Imam of this mosque. Or this His is Ambassador of Love. Can you imagine if people said that about us? Are you an ambassador of love or politics? Are you known for your rabid political views or are you known for your rabid love? Are you willing to lay down your life? I remember one of the speeches I made. I said, I'd be willing to lay down my life right now for a Muslim. It doesn't just have to be a Christian. And so when we have that kind of attitude, we come against the spirit of a Jonah who is following God, but he was self-righteous. He was self-focused. He was nationalistic. He was only for people who looked like him and had the same culture, spoke his language. 
He didn't love his enemies. He hated them. Who are we going to be like as a resurrection church? If we act like the world, we might as well not call ourselves resurrection church. We might as well call ourselves the dead church because we're acting just like the world. But resurrection church befits a church that walks in the love of God, Amen. walks in the grace of God. But you know what? Even if we're not perfect, like Jonah, God could still use him to turn a whole city upside down. God used a racist to bring revival. God used a narcissist to bring revival. God used an immature person. Which also shows us just because God uses somebody doesn't mean they're a real mature person. See, God could use you in a powerful way. It doesn't mean that you're a man or a woman of God. Or it doesn't mean that you're emotionally mature. So that's what this teaches us, right? So you get people all infatuated over preachers and over people who pray for the sick and this and that. How do you know how they live on this side? They might have prostitutes in their house. They might be doing this and that with the money. You have no idea, right? Or they might just be racist. But it doesn't mean God can't use them. That's the, the tricky thing. Thank God God is not into cancel culture where you don't have another chance. Your reputation, your job, is finished. You're ruined for the rest of your life with the self-righteous culture we have today. If you don't agree with them and you don't toe the line, they cancel you. Thank God Jesus' blood didn't cancel us. He reconciled us. And he gives us a chance, even if we blew it. Some of you have blown it. Some of you have run from your call. Some of you act immature. Some of you may even act like racist. I don't know. I don't know how you are outside of the Sunday service. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean we don't love you. And it doesn't mean that there isn't a chance for you to get on the right track and for God to move upon your life. And so Jonah was so upset that this city repented. Look at his response to God. Now, God, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, are you doing well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He was still hoping that God would destroy it. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it may be a shade over his head to save him from the heat. So Jonah was very happy because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, Do you pity the plant for which you did not create? You didn't make it grow, and you didn't make it come into being. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Wow. So you see, Jonah also depicts a person who is so self-focused that if they don't have their way to go into hissy fits, tantrums, 
and they want to die. I've never found a person who lived for their own pleasure who is happy. He didn't seem like a happy person. As a matter of fact, the most miserable people are the ones who live to be happy. The ones who live for God and who take up their cross, who don't have to have their way, but let God lead them and use them. They experience the joy of the Lord. Because those who are seeking their own happiness will never, ever fully be happy in anything that this world offers them because this world perishes with its use and the pleasures are fleeting that we experience. They're never long lasting. But those who follow the Lord have a joy because it's based on God and not on the world. And that joy never ends. And so the last lesson we learn about Jonah is that if we want to really find purpose, we need to surrender ourselves to the will of God. We're never going to find total happiness in our ethnicity, in our culture, in our nation, in our politics, in our pleasures, in our home, in our money. We only fully find purpose in Jesus Christ and him alone who came to reconcile the world back to himself. Amen. So let's pray and let's trust that the Lord will help us. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. Even if there are some here today who are running the way Jonah ran, if they're running from their assignment, God, that you would bring us back to that assignment. We know that we can't disconnect our love for God from, from what he's called us to do. So, Father, help us as a church to discover our purpose, even as individuals discovering our purpose. Those of us who have gone astray, those of us who have not followed the path to righteousness that leads to life that you would bring us back today. And help us, oh God, in spite of our quirks and foibles, our immaturity, our self-focus, our insensitivity and judgmentalism, we know that you could still grow us and use us. Even as Jonah was a witness in chapter 1, even though he was running from you, he still told them that he was serving. He was a servant of the living God. And these people still were convicted, even though Jonah was running from you. And so, Father, we pray for those running from you, that they would come home, that they'd be like the prodigal who comes home. And Father, we pray that all of us would walk in our assignment and that we would love the way Jesus loved, the way he died for us. We'd be willing to lay down our life for others. Baptize our church with unconditional love. 
that we would be called ambassadors of love. That we'd be able to love the unlovely. That we'd be able to see opportunity in our everyday life to share the gospel. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just raise our hands before God. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.